I like that prayer, Laura. Help him in all the ways he needs help. And there are many. There are many. Praise God for that. Thank you for that. I'll, I'm going to bless you as Laura has blessed me with that. I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully. I bless you that you'd be healed if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive the guidance from God that you need or the help from God that you need. I bless you to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing right now in your life. And then whatever's going on, that you would feel peace. That you would feel joy. That you would feel love. That you would feel hope. May that be. May that be for you. In Jesus' name, may it be. All right, it is, it is my passion to see God help you and, and to see God answer, answer your prayers. I want your life to be filled with, with that. That's why we teach a, a lot about prayer around here. That's why we talk about fasting. That's why we talk about seeking God in, in different ways. I want the things that you're worried about and you're afraid about, I want those things to come to nothingness. And I want the joy and triumph of God's help and answered prayer to be the testimony of your life. I just want it to be all over your life. Today we're going to continue our study on Moses. We are getting close to Mount Sinai in our study. Last week we talked about how Moses and some of the elders went ahead of the nation and they went to the rock at Horeb. And Moses struck the rock, the rock split, water came gushing out and enough water for all the nation, the however many million people and their animals as well. We talked about that last week. Today we're going to talk about their first battle. The very first battle that they have as a nation leaving Egypt. And it's my premise, it's my premise today that this first battle is a template for most every battle. Meaning, this first battle is a template for most every battle and every challenge that any of us as God's people will ever face. I think that you'll see how very true that is for all of us as we go through this study. Let me um, start by reading the passage. We're in Exodus chapter 17, and I'm picking up in, in verse 8. Here's what we read. At Rephidim, that's the location, at Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow... I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hand grew heavy, they, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So, or in this way, because of what just happened there, Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. The Lord then said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it Yahweh Nisi, or the Lord is my banner. 
He said, indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. My hand is lifted up towards the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. So that's, that's the story here in the book of Exodus. But there's another thing I want to tell you. The, Moses, 40 years later, in the book of Deuteronomy, is reflecting on this same event, this same battle. And we get a, a detail or two more. And I just want to read another two verses from Deuteronomy chapter 25. It says, remember what the Amalekites did to you. Re reflecting back on this journey. Remember what the Amalekites did to you on the journey after you left Egypt. They met you along the way and attacked all your stragglers from behind when you were tired and weary. They did not fear God. I just want to add that piece into our context for today. The basic context is God's people are journeying towards Mount Sinai. They, um, they needed water, and, and we talked about that last week. And the Amalekites, who are the descendants of Esau. How many of you were here when I talked about the Bible Land series? Any, anybody? Any, uh, okay, uh, some of you. So the, um, uh, the Amalekites live in the Negev. Does that mean anybody? To anybody? Yes. The Negev, the, the south, south, deserty, south, south uh, of the land of, of Judah. From there all the way down to the top of the Arabian Peninsula. That's where these descendants of Egypt, or, you know, Egypt, Esau, the Amalekites um, live. And they've been picking off, they've been, they've been killing some of the stragglers. And it seems like Moses is like, okay, Joshua, strap on your sword. Right. Get some people. We're done with this. This is, not, this is not how we want this to go. Where did this battle take place? Okay. Let's look at our map. Uh, really, it's a Google Earth image with, I don't know if that's considered a map. It's a picture, I guess, uh, with drawings on it. Where did the battle take place? Most people say the blue circle. The blue circle. Uh, that's, that's where they're, they're kind of coming. Now, where we're headed towards is the red square. I, I'm sorry, next week I'm going to give you a picture zoomed back a little bit so you can see exactly where we're at in comparison to the Red Sea and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I realized looking at this that I need a little bit more context, otherwise it just looks like a splotch. Um, so we got to go from the blue circle, let's say, to the red square. Now there's a mountain range there, so they need to go around the top. The green circle is where the rock of, at Horeb is, and we talked about that last week. So most people would say, okay, the, the battle's taking place somewhere around that blue circle, but that's not where the archaeology says it took place. The archaeology says it took place at the blue question mark, right on the edge of the map. Okay, wait, how, why are we over there? Well, there is a chance if God's people had crossed the Red Sea at the superior southern crossing, where there was a pathway that nobody knew was there, just under the surface of the water. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you missed out. You can go back and listen to that one, the Red Sea Crossing. But then they might have come around the, the mountain range on the other side as well. That's, that's quite possible. Um, but again, I don't need to figure this out. I'm just looking at what the Bible says, and we're teaching what the Bible says. And also I'm looking at some archaeology here. Um, why, do I th why do we believe that the battle took place here? Okay, here's some pictures. Here's some pictures. It's really a bunch of rocks and, and carvings. So the first picture at the top right, uh, the first picture at the top right is, um, can you see that? In that red circle up there is a Jewish menorah. Okay, that's just for fun and for free. But, but the thing about having a Jewish menorah out here in, in the ancient land of Midian in Saudi Arabia, not on the, we know, fact, 
the Hebrews are here. We know that the Jewish people came here before they go, go to the promised land. The, the, the scratches, they're Jewish. And, and you got a, the oldest menorah yet discovered, you know, right here by nearish Mount, Mount Sinai. So you got that uh, menorah there. That's for fun. And then the bottom rock has got some scratches on it. it. Those are words. And the bottom rock, bottom left rock, bottom left rock says basically Rephidim. We're at Rephidim. And, and I guess translated, it, it means place of rest. You read that, it says place of rest. That's what Rephidim means, place of rest. So you got this rock here that says Rephidim. So that, that could point to this being the place. But all over the ground, you've got all these rocks everywhere with scratches and words on them. The top right picture there, you've got three different rocks with scratches and words on them. Again, these rocks are everywhere, and most of them are like these top three rocks where they're like memorial stones. The, top, the bottom right rock on that top, of, top picture, top right picture, says, died Hagar. The top rock on that picture says, died Amia, daughter of Hagar. The, the third rock that's there, um, is the close-up of that is actually the bottom right picture. That says, died Amalek. Died Amalek. Uh, that's, that's what we're, we're looking at when it comes to Rephidim and this battle with Am Amalek and, and, and the armies there. And you've got these, now these, these Hagar and Amia, they're not going to be in the battle, but they could be the stragglers that are being picked off. By, by the people. Anyways, all over this area, you've got these rocks with like, died this person, died that person, died this. Like, it's all over this, this valley here. And um, according to Jim and Penny Caldwell, who discovered this in around 1990, 1991, this area, um, he said all over the ground are sling stones, like about a half kilogram, three quarters of a kilogram, these, these round, you know, sling stones. Like as in a battle is taking place here and you've got all these um, rocks, these sling stones everywhere. So you've got this. Clearly it seems like a battle site. You've got all these memorial stones. It might say Rephidim. It says died Amalek. All in this area. So you're thinking, okay, that's, that sounds right. But the Bible talks about something else that is here in this area. Moses built an altar. And so we find in this valley an altar. Now there's different kinds of, okay, that's, a, that's an altar. It's a big rock. C-shaped rock. Um, who is that guy? You're not supposed to see him. He's wearing camouflage. So just he's blending in. Just pretend he's not there. I don't know why he's photobombing my, my altar picture. He's probably Thomas. This is from Do Doubting Thomas Research. Um, so we'll just call him Thomas the photobomber. Anyway, so, so he's, he's, he's getting in the way. Pretend he's not there. I thought about photoshopping him out, but then... Um, I don't know, maybe I'd Photoshop Laura in. You know, that, I, we'll, we'll just leave it, with, we'll just leave it with, with Thomas here. Oh, that's a great idea. Davidson, maybe we can work on that sometime. So anyways, we got this, we got this um, altar rock. Now, you're thinking, well, that doesn't look like an altar. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of Jewish altars. One of the most basic kind and that show up many times in the Bible is one big rock. One big rock. And the Caldwells, when they, when they first visited here, those steps at the base there, that are kind of around the, the base, they were, in this, they were in stairs. They were stairs up toward, toward this altar area here. And um, that since they've kind of been knocked down or, or blown over or something like that. But not blown over. But they're, they're no longer in that step. In the 90s, they were in a step form. 
But you've got this altar thing here. You, you see other examples like in the Bible, um, probably a lot of the altars that uh, Abraham sets up or Jacob sets up are probably single stone basic altars. Built an altar there, he built an altar there. Um, Samson's parents definitely had a one stone altar. Uh, you have, um, when, the, when the Ark of the Covenant returns from Philistine land in the book of Judges, they've got a one stone altar there with the Ark of the Covenant. I think that's maybe where they opened the Ark of the Covenant and a lot of them died. Something like that. But, but you've, got, you've got these single stone, this is the basic altar site, uh, Jewish altar site. But the thing that I really want to point out in this picture is if, if this is the location, the basic location of where Rephidim is, I'm looking at the background. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not saying this is the hill, but, but Moses and Aaron and her are on top of a hill over this valley. The, the hills kind of look like that. Okay, I'm like, okay, oh, that's interesting. If this is the battle site, they're up on a hill, something like that, kind of scrambling up. That's, that's probably right here, one, something along those, those lines. Anyway, so that's the archaeology, why we think it's where that blue question mark was on the map. There's a lot of archaeology pointing to this. It's like, even if it's not as, as um, logically placed like you would expect that in that blue circle area. Doesn't, like, that would be the logical place, but this seems to be the, the right location. In light of that, let's now go through the story and, and let's look and see what the point of the story, what, is, what's, what Moses is wanting to teach us here in, this, in the story as he records this battle. Verse 8 said again, <clears throat> At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Okay, now, I said this at the beginning, and I'm going to say this at the end. This first battle, I genuinely believe, is a template for how to deal with every challenge, every battle that we're going to face. For how we, millennia later, can, can deal with the, the, the difficulties, the worries, the concerns, the fears, the anxieties, the threats, the, the dangers in our lives. And I want God's help in my life. I'm sure you would like God's help in your life. If I want to have as much victory as possible in the battles in my life, I want to pay attention to how this first battle goes and see, and see what I can learn from it. And the first thing I learned from it here is most of the time, number one, we face most challenges physically and spiritually. Physically and spiritually, meaning some people... They have a challenge in front of them, and they just work on that challenge. Or they have a threat, and they try and do something about that threat with all their best energies and effort, and they only pray when they fail. They only start praying when, they, when, they're, when they're worn out, and that's a mistake. I've got other words, but I'm just going to keep it simple. That's a mistake. Okay? Uh, some people are, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray. The, the first battle shows both. You are going to deal with it physically and, and spiritually. You know, so I'm thinking, what is your stress? What is your challenge? Are, do you have a plan for both? Both the spiritual realities of your challenge and, praying about that, and the physical realities that you're actually going to do something about it. Not leaning one or the other, but hitting both and hitting both strong. Uh, let's keep reading here. Verse 10. Joshua did as Moses had told him. And fought against Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up, 
went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, we know it's both hands because it describes both guys holding both of his hands up. When he, when he, held, when he, when he held up his hands, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Simple observation here. The spiritual directly impacts the physical. It is, it is very obvious here in this first battle. When Moses is lifting his hands to the throne of God in heaven, which we're, we're going to see, that's what he's going to say at the end of this passage. While he's lifting his hands to God's that's throne, they are prevailing. They are victorious. God is answering the prayer request. But when he lowers his hands because he's genuinely tired, God wasn't helping them and allowing the enemy to prevail. I hope that's a bit disturbing and that catches your attention. While he's praying and lifting his hands, God is helping them. When not, Joshua is losing and God's people are losing. It, it, the, the, the commands in the Bible, pray without ceasing, keep on praying, and, and, and may that be your practice in whatever your challenge, and, and may your life be full of the victories of God, not the needless defeats to the God who's willing to help you if you're lifting your hands in prayer. Just an observation there. Let's keep looking and see what, what else it says here. Verse 12, when Moses' hands grew heavy... They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. I'm like, is this cheating, right? Is this cheating? Can you, you know, don't you need to stand while you're praying? Laura says stand, everybody, while you're praying in pre-service prayer. Don't you need to, okay, so you sit down on it. Then Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So in this way, in this way, Joshua was, was victorious. Okay. He's tired. What's, what's the obvious quick spiritual thing? Get help. Figure it out. Okay? Get help. Figure it out. Moses couldn't keep his hands lifted up. I mean, that makes sense, right? Not, 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 only, is, not only is it hard to hold your hands up, for, let alone a staff above your head uh, for, for any length of time. I mean, the guy is 80 years old. That's like three and a half my age, right? Three and a half times my age. Like, he's just holding his hands up, uh, up and up. I mean, just, just incredible, uh, this, this, this call. And you, you might look at Moses and be like, God's telling him to hold up his hands, and, and that's, that's unfair. He doesn't have that strength or the energy to keep praying and keep lifting his hands. Well, right. But again, only if it's about him only. But get help. I can't. You know how many people tell me about their prayer requests? I just, I just can't pray another prayer about this. I'm exhausted. I can't. I have no faith. I am so unmoted. I'm so disappointed. I have prayed about this and prayed about it and nothing has ever happened. I can't even muster any prayer effort anymore. Okay. I, my hands are down. Get help. Figure it. It doesn't have to be just your prayer request. And then the enemy comes in. Oh, nobody would ever pray for my prayer request, you know, or something like that. But, but that, that is, get help. And I love it how, like, Moses is just, if, in order for there to be victory, he has to have his hands to the throne of God in heaven. Hands lifted up to the throne of God in heaven. Moses doesn't have to, 
he doesn't have to do it on his own, though. And, and, and so he's got this help, and he's lifting his hands to the heaven, to the throne of God in heaven, where God is seated on the throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And he's calling on the one seated on the throne to intervene in his situation. God on his throne is this, this, this imagery of, of complete rulership of where he can make decrees and everything changes. Where God on the throne can say, this is to change. Victory is to come here. Breakthrough in your life. The, the, the king on the throne, God on the throne issues decrees. And Moses' only hope is that the God on the throne issues decrees to shift his reality. Because without God's decrees, they're losing. I love the timing of that. Boom. They are losing. Yes. So good. But I want to point out, amen. Let's do it again. Amen. Yeah. I want to point out, though, that victory is a team effort here. Victory is a team effort. You know, it, it's not like, Moses, you go and, you go and deal with this and um, pray by yourself. He brings up his guys. Joshua, you go and deal with this battle. No. Joshua brings his guys. It's not just Joshua and Moses. It's Joshua and his guys and Moses and his guys. One battle, one thing. You know, the, the thing is, uh, most people are too private about their pain. Most people are too private about the prayers that really matter to them. And so they don't get help. And they don't ask help. But that's not the imagery here in the first battle. Figure it out. Get help in the spiritual and in the physical. For my 40 days of prayer request, uh, I was I, praying along, and, and what was your prayer request? I'm not telling you. But for, basically, I need God's direction, or guidance, uh, not direction, guidance. I need his guidance, or, or I need to hear from him on this thing. I'm desperate to hear from him on this thing. So, you know, 40 days, that's a while. I got to day 30, which... which I'm not, I'm not hearing anything. Now, I'm probably the only person who can pray 30 days in a row and still not know what God's saying about something. That was my story. Uh, I hope it's never your story. But there I was, praying, praying, praying. Couldn't hear anything. And so finally, I was like, okay, I, I really want to hear this. So I'm going to ask someone to help. I'm going to ask. So I asked this person. And I said, Please, would you ask Jesus about my request? I'm not telling you what it is, but would you just seek God on this and, and tell me if you hear anything? I, I employ them so they have to do it. So that, there is that. Uh, and then I went to this other person and I was like, okay, uh, please, would you seek God? I'm desperate to hear from God in this. And uh, would you seek God? As this, within 24 hours, both of them got back to me saying something that, I was not thinking, but they said the same thing, and they had no idea. I'm like, oh, but you know what? It is humbling to ask. I mean, I had a hard time. I, I you know, I'm kind of a pastor. I'm not kind of a pastor. I actually am a pastor, and, and, and I had a hard time just asking these people to pray for my prayer request. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but you get the lies in your head like, they're not going to pray. They don't care. Who cares about what I care about? Uh, and it was actually difficult to approach them. I felt embarrassed to ask them to pray 
on behalf of my prayer request? Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? But that one little thing, had I not got past my pride, had I not got past myself, had I not got past my insecurities, yeah, I've got one, and said, would you please pray and see if you could hear from God on this for me? If I wouldn't got past that, I wouldn't have heard the same thing from two people, which was super encouraging, as you can imagine. Yeah. We need to humble ourselves before God, but not just God. People. People. It's, there's a together thing here when it comes to this battle. A together thing. If you're going to try and face your challenges on your own as long as you can, you're going to miss out on so many potential helped and answered prayers. Back to the notes. Okay, so verse 15 here. <clears throat> Moses built an altar and he named it Yahweh Nisi. Yahweh Nisi. Or, or he named it the Lord is my banner. banner. Now, <clears throat> this is the key. Right? Th this, this rock that you're looking at, like Moses doesn't think, okay, there's this cool altar here. Let's name it something cool. Yahweh Nisi. Like, no, 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 no. He, the name is the point. It's the point of the whole story. The, the, the name is the message that Moses wants to make sure that every generation remembers. I'm setting up this altar so that we can remember this. Yahweh Nisi. Now, what does Yahweh Nisi mean? It means the Lord is my banner. Okay, I don't get it. The Lord is my cloth flag. You, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Okay. What? is the purpose of a banner in every military from about 150 years ago until the dawn of time. The, the banner is the rallying point. When things are falling apart, you rally to the banner. When you're in trouble and then the unit is not, it's, it's taking losses, you rally to the battle. When things are falling apart, you rally to the battle. When, when, <clears throat> when things aren't going your way, you rally to the battle. When, whatever's going on, when things are rough, you rally to the battle, to the banner. And so it says here, the Lord is my banner. Moses isn't wanting the people to know is when things get tough, you rally to Yahweh. You rally to the Lord. The, Yahweh is my rallying point. That's the message of this C-shaped rock. The Lord is my rallying point. Okay, great. We rally to Jesus. We rally to Jesus. We rally to Jesus together. But, but, but how? How do we do that? Well, it, it says in verse 16. <clears throat> he said, indeed, my hand, or we know both of them, my hands are lifted up towards the Lord's throne. I rally by Lifting my hands to the throne of God, to the one seated on the throne, high and exalted. I lift my hands to, to the Lord's throne in, in worship and prayer. You ever wonder why people worship with their hands up? Um, maybe they don't know why. Some of them, people will say, like, I'm lifting my hands in surrender. God, I give up. Just take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. You know, that sort of a thing. Like, I, I, I need you. I need you now, right? Just, 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 I give up. I give up. I surrender. Some people are like, okay, I'm lifting up my hands. I'm a, I'm a vessel. I'm an empty vessel. I'm feeling empty. And I want you to like pour in love and peace and wisdom and guidance and just fill me up to overflowing in these things. 
For here Moses, he is lifting, he has in his mind very clearly what he's doing. I am lifting up my hands to the throne in heaven. In fact, actually, in English it says towards, but the reality is to, as if he is touching the throne in heaven. It's like he's picturing the throne of God, and he's lifting up his hands, and he's touching the throne of God and appealing to God on the throne to intervene in his nation and his situation so that there's victory. I've been practicing that this week. And I've, I've kind of changed my prayer posture from like thinking of hands on the throne to like I've been like grabbing the throne. It's like, yes, I'm holding on to the throne. It's hard to keep my hands held up in the air, so I might as well hold on to it. And just, just grab onto it that way. Um, the throne is the place where he makes the decrees that shift our circumstances. So like, that's where we want to appeal. God, on the throne, make your decrees in my life. About a year and a half ago, I was praying for God's help. Particular painful moment, particular challenging moment. I was on sabbatical. I wasn't here. But, but I was praying for God, and I felt like Jesus uh, gave me a, a strange instruction, but a, a word of hope. And, and Well, it started with a discouraging word. He said, Brian, the enemy wants this pain to continue in your life for another long season. But if you run to me, if you run to me, if you pray to me with your hands lifted up, as if I'm praying and lifting up my hands to the throne of God, if I pray with my hands lifted up, then Jesus will make a decree and say no to the plan of this continued pain going on. So, man, I think this is weird. Never done this before, but I'm doing it. Every day, praying with my hands up. Jesus, uh, intervene. Jesus, set me free from this situation that I find painful. Jesus, intervene in my life. Jesus, um, don't allow the enemy's plan to continue this season of pain. I was doing this for a couple weeks, and then after about two weeks, everything shifted. And it was over. A year and a half ago. And it's just like, whoa. Wow. I appealed to the one on the throne, and it's like Jesus, he, he said, lift up your hands, and I lift up my hands, and then he makes a decree from the throne, and everything changed. My situation shifted. I believe this story here that we're, we're looking at, this first battle is a template for all of our battles, for most every one of our battles. And, and what do we do when we're facing challenges? We rally to God. Together. Not just alone. Together. We rally to God and we lift, Paul's words, our holy hands in prayer. We lift our hands to the, the one seated on the throne, high exalted, the one who makes the We lift our hands and then we act in faith. We pray and we act both. Here's the challenge for today. If you're needing God's help, is there a person or two you can ask to join you in praying? And you're already thinking, oh, I just, I, I understand what Brian's saying. That's very hard to do. Well, we have prayer ministry here. We have people here to do that very thing. Take advantage of that every Sunday. Um, but is there a person that you can ask to pray and see God about your situation? Um, also, is there a person or two you can ask for help or advice on dealing with your challenge? Who might that be? Who can help you? 
Again, we are the body of Christ. We're way too um, individual. We're supposed to be in this together and help one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to love and deeds, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for each other. It's supposed to be a together thing. And the more you keep it to yourself, the more you're on your own. Also, uh, challenge here, try praying and worshiping with your hands to the throne. So I, I've been doing this. Right. Try praying and worshiping with your, with your hands at the throne. Again, I've been practicing this all week and, and, uh, and thinking about this very intentionally and connected to this study. Um, so I've got my 40 days prayer request going on. And, and on Wednesday, I, I was up like this. I was praying. I think it was right after the worship night here or during or before, like somewhere around the worship night. I felt like God just said, I heard your prayer about October. And I, and I, and I feel like like something has been accelerated and moved up. Like that God's, I, I actually was like, okay, which one of my prayers? Because I got a lot of prayers. Which one's the October one? Now I'm confused. J Jesus, thank you for that so much. But which one was the October one? I'll find out. But anyways, like, like yes, I feel like something shifted as I'm praying and I'm, I'm lifting my hands and appealing to, to God's throne. For Moses... Lifting his hands was essential for breakthrough. And maybe you're like, okay, but do I actually, actually have to lift? Can I just lift my hands in my heart? Well, Moses needed to. And, and my thought is, is simply this. It, it, maybe it doesn't matter sometimes. Maybe it does matter. But if there is a chance... That lifting my hands whilst I'm praying, picturing the throne of God in heaven and praying and, and like, I'm, like I'm grabbing onto the throne of God in heaven and appealing to heaven. If there's a chance that that, the difference between this and this means a shifting in my circumstances and breakthrough in my life, I will gladly do this. Even if I look a little strange or if it takes a little bit of adjustment. The early church didn't pray like this. The early church maybe prayed like this, with hands lifted up. You can see it all over the Roman catacombs. They didn't pray like this, they prayed like this. Hands lifted up. Okay, we're going to try this. And you're like, oh, please, no. It's okay. I'll have everybody close their eyes, okay? So why don't you close your eyes? And, and I, what I want you to do is I want you to think about your prayer request. If God was going to answer a prayer of yours, make it a big one. What do you want him to do? If God was going to issue a decree on your behalf from the throne, like I'm kind of thinking right now, it's like Solomon, you know, ask what you want. Like if God's going to answer, I'm not saying he is or isn't, but if you were going to ask an appeal to God on his throne to make a decree that something shifts or changes or, or something like that, what would you ask? What would you appeal? Okay, now picture... God's throne above you. Picture God's throne. It's above you. You gotta lift up your head as your eyes closed. You gotta look up. Look, look, okay, picture. You see it up there? Imagine it up there. And now reach out with your hands and reach out to the throne. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the quietness here, just appeal to the one seated on the throne, high and exalted, to, to make a decree on your behalf. And ask him for that decree. Just, just do that in this time here.
God, we, God, I ask you, I implore you in the name of Jesus to hear these requests. As we reach out to the one on the throne, we acknowledge, A, that you're God, that you're superior, that you're king of the universe. And that when you make a decree, things change. Make decrees on our behalf. Intervene in all of our lives and requests. I appeal to you in the name of Jesus for the sake of your name and your renown and your glory. This feels strange to us in, the, in, the, in these days. And yet, God, show us just the goodness of lifting our holy hands in prayer to you and to your throne. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.